ready? to the One Wrestling Podcast, your one-stop shop for discussions and reviews about the vast world of professional wrestling. Each week, I pick some topics and shows to discuss from whatever promotion I feel like discussing that week. Pro, American, Lucha, Brit Rest, Deathmatch, whatever I feel like. I'm your host, TJ, better known as Aspir. This week, I'll be discussing the closure of Wrestle One, something that hit home personally for me. Their February Corkin that recently made tape, the AEW Revolution show from this past weekend the DDT dojo shows that have been happening for the past couple days, and a variety of other topics. But first things first, as I said on Twitter, I wanted to get right into the uh, Wrestle One news that broke over the weekend. Uh, Keiji Muto and Kazayashi held a press conference where it was announced that Wrestle One would be shutting down activities indefinitely after April 1st at the, uh, on the Korokuen Hall show and that all contracted talent would become freelancers at the end of March, but still appear on the Korokin, obviously. Uh, the main reason for the closure was said to be due to an inability of the company to make any money in its entire run. Mudo said that they had, they, haven't, they had an owner that was fine with covering up the deficits for all these years, but since launch, they've been in the red. And as such, they didn't want to continue to put a burden on others, and they're just deciding to close up shop for now. I was asleep when this news, this news broke, but when I woke, I woke up to like a million notifications, it felt like, both Twitter accounts I have, Discord, you name it. And then, I was looking through all of the uh, responses to the news throughout the day on uh, Saturday, and when looking at the responses, I saw one Japanese fan who, uh, his take on it was probably the best one I've seen. He said, it's not a shock that I feel, just disappointment. Which, it's pretty much how I felt. Like, I woke up, I looked, one of the first notifications I looked at was I got a Discord notification from the uh, Super Jcast Discord, which I'm a part of. And one of the first thing was Joel, one of the hosts, asking if I, if someone's told me yet what happened. And I didn't even know what he was talking about. And then I get on Twitter and see all this shit with all the news and friends of mine reaching out to me and thanking me for all my work with the uh, Wrestle One English Twitter account. Uh, John from uh, Wrestle Makase, Dylan from the Eastern Lariat, uh, Smiley, Alex, Arum, just a load of other people. I'm sure I'm missing a ton. Thank you all, by the way. I'm 
I appreciate all the uh, love I received from people who knew I'd probably take this a little hard, but in the end, I, I'm not sure if I really did, because like the Japanese fan said, it's not really a shock, it's a disappointment. I can't really feel sad about it, because since I've been a fan of WrestleOne, it just, it's always had this fog around it. Like, it wasn't always a matter of if it was ever going to shut down. It was just a matter of when, and so it, hap- it happening just, it felt sudden. It didn't feel like they were leading up to it. Like, it just, out of the blue, you get the announcement, and just, I don't know, what can you do? <laughs> but this has nothing to do with the talent either, unfortunately. Like, it's not a promotion where all the talent sucks and no one wants to go see the shows or anything. It's just, the talent was awesome. Like, Russell One has had one of the better uh, dojos in Japan, in my opinion. Like, Kondo and Hayashi are amazing trainers, and they popped out some great uh, talent. It's just, it, the company was never able to grow. It never found its niche in the market. It had a fan base, but it was a small one, and they could never grow it. And a large part of that is just, just couldn't find their spot in the progressing landscape in Japan. If they'd followed through with some of their promises in the beginning of the company, they might have found that footing, but they never really delivered on any of that. Like, for one, they wanted to be more international company, wanted to make a truly a true world title, but they sort of got on the path to that working with TNA for a little bit, but then that got fucked up after the Great Sonata stuff, and among other things, and then the same title was also supposed to be open weight, but then once Tajiri got involved with the company in the booking department, he created a junior title, and then that came to an end. There was supposed to be a promotion with both men and women's wrestling, but then they never signed any women, really, other than Hanakamura and Reika Saiki, who they came up through the WrestleOne Dojo and both great wrestlers, but they weren't even signed at the same time. So at the most, they had one woman wrestler on the promotion at a time. They were kind of getting on the way to trying to use the women more, like, once Reika joined back up in March of last year. But then she got injured, and then it just all fell apart. One promise they did keep, in a sense, is the uh, more Western presentation of the promotion, such with stuff like, at the beginning, with uh, Desperado being, like, with her heel bullshit, and then... Soya coming in as a heel GM at first. And then in general, their uh, production values were up to snuff. Like They probably had better uh, presentation, graphics, intro videos, int- video packages, all that kind of stuff. They probably had like some of the best video production in Japan until New Japan recently. But all that costs money, and they never made that money back. So... And then even from the start, they were hemorrhaging talent, which is weird to think about since, from all accounts, WrestleOne is a pretty good payday. But you start getting exoduses of guys. You lose a Minoru Tanaka, Ryotohama, Nakanoe, Kai, Sonata, and then even Ikemen last year. But they just never made any stars to replace the ones they lost. Despite the amazing crop of athletes they were able to train up, because like I said earlier, their dojo is amazing. They pop out great talent. It's just none of them were able to become stars. And partially it's because of the booking, I guess, if you want to take it that way. And then and also it's just 
by the time they started popping out this great talent, like Soya, or not Soya, who am I saying Soya? Like Ashino, Tachibana, Toncho, all them. It was kind of already, they were already in the sinkhole, and Kaz tried his best, tried his damnedest, but he just couldn't get it. Like, he did his, like, uh, Kaz Hayashi is the uh, president of Russell One, for those that didn't, don't know. He uh, took over, uh, I forget what year. I want to say it was like 2017, 2018, maybe 2016. 2017, yeah. He took over in 2017. And that was probably close to the lowest point in the promotion. So I I can't blame this closure on him. I, I know he it seemed like he was taking it hard and putting a lot of guilt on himself for uh, Wrestle 1 failing and ending up closing. But, man, he tried his best. Like, I think he did everything in his power in like those last couple years to try and get it on the right path. It's just, it never happened, unfortunately. Like, none of the uh, wrestlers were able to become, like, true drawing stars like they needed them to be. Even Ashino, even if I, I love him, I think he he's easily, obviously, the ace of the promotion, and he should be the guy driving sales, but it just never came to pass. And then one guy who they could have used to do that around that time with Ikemen, he's probably the most popular guy in the promotion, and then they never did anything with him. And I, I still don't understand that. And it makes all the sense in the world why he ended up leaving now, especially if this has been in the works for a little bit. Who knows? But either way, they were never going to do anything with him. They made it pretty obvious, so I could see why he bounced. But I think if they would have um, done something more with him down the road, like, as much as I think Ashino and uh, Soya's matches in 2018 were, Either Ikemen should have won the title that year early instead of Soya, or Soya or Ikemen should have beat Soya for the title at Pro Wrestling Love and not Ashino, and see what you really got with him because I think he could have become a drawing star for the company. But they didn't do that, so no reason to talk in uh, possibilities, I guess. But. I did want to talk a little bit about the uh, the attendance for Wrestle One throughout the years to get a little kind of more of a taste on why they uh, weren't able to get out of the red. I have a uh, spreadsheet that entails all of uh, Wrestle One attendance for their big shows in Corkins. I think it'd be kind of boring to go through all of the uh, numbers. So I'll just link the uh, spreadsheet in the footnotes for this episode if you'd like to go through them. The data is mostly from Pro Wrestling Data and Cage Match, so see how I'm, I'm not absolutely sure how accurate the numbers are, especially for uh, the early years of the promotion, but if that's something that interests, interests you, be sure to check it out. But in general, for their attendance... And why they were in the red for so often is, for one, their house shows like barely ever drew. The spreadsheet doesn't include the house show data, just their uh, Corkins and other big shows. But for the most part, they struggled to get above or get in the uh, thousand range for Corkin. Especially come like 2017 to present. They had they'll have some shows every now and then that will break that. For example, uh March twenty eighteen they had uh 
Akorkin with uh, Soya and Ashino in a title match that drew like 1,500 fans. In May of 2019, they had one with uh, T-Hawk and Kondo that that went drew uh, 1,300 fans. Like They can draw above 1,000, but it's kind of rare. And then what really sucked last year is they started off pretty hot with uh, 1,200 Korkin, 1,000 Korkin in February. Then they dropped really hard in March, but obviously uh, that suffered because Wrestle Wars was happening like two weeks later. And then no idea how much it takes to draw or how much it takes to rent out Wrestle War or not Wrestle Wars, how long, how much it takes to rent out Oda Ward. But then they only drew uh, 14,000 fans, which is definitely disappointing for them on camera. That looked awful. I remember that show. And then. April that year, they did 1,100. Like I said, 1,300 for the May Cork and with T-Hawk and Kondo. But then after that, they just hit a string of just bad attendance during the summer. 8,900, or 8,990 in June, 900 in July, 677 in August. That was a terrible number for them. But again, that was pretty close to Pro Wrestling Love in Yokohama, so I'm not really exactly shocked about it. And even that was their lowest drawing uh, Yokohama show to date. At 649 in October, or in September. 703 in October. They finally started to pick it up a little bit at the end of the month with uh, November at 882 and December 934. And then Wonder Carnival, when they ran Eddie on Arena, did 1600, but that was the big Osaka Eddie on Arena, and that was definitely a disappointing number for them to draw, but and then starting this year, both their Corkins did around 900 fans. So it's sort of got back on path, but not quite. Unfortunately, I asked around for uh, questions for people that wanted me to find out what they wanted to know about the wrestle one closing and all that. Got a few questions that pertain to this that I wanted to discuss a little bit real quick from uh random Awad on Twitter at random award. He asked two questions or they asked two questions. Can you maybe talk a bit about exactly why wrestle one wasn't profitable? I've seen one or two people say that Mudo was splashing money or even in 2013, 2014, but I can't imagine on what besides the ex new Japan guys. And then also, uh, did the TNA re- relationship have any influence on wrestle one's money problems? That relationship lasted all of a year, but there was a lot of appearances in that one year. Oh, and the first part of that question, I already explained a a little bit of it, but yeah, Muda was definitely uh, throwing money around at the beginning of the promotion by all the accounts I know of. But I mean, just looking at the first show, you can tell like they were throwing money around like crazy just for that first show for Wrestle One. I mean, just I've talked about it. Or, I talked about the show earlier on the pod because I watched it uh, about a month or two ago, but. For those that haven't checked out that episode, I'll just uh, go over the card real quick so you can kind of get an idea of how much money uh, Mudo and Wrestle One were throwing around at the beginning of the promotion. Uh, the opening match were uh, Deki Naba and Hiroshi Yamato facing Tokyo Gurantai, Mazada, and Osawa Rongai. And Naba and Yamato were Wrestle One guys, but Tokyo Gurantai weren't at the time. You had uh, Kohei, Sa- Kohei Sato, Ryoji Sai facing Ryota Hama and Yasufumi Nakanoe. 
Hama and Nakanoe were Wrestle One guys. I don't think Sato or Sai were at the time. We had uh, Yoshihiko versus Mayu Iwatani. Uh, Koji Kanamoto, Minoru Tanaka versus Fujita Hayato and Masaki Mochizuki from Dragon Gate. Well, Masaki is. <laughs> we had uh, Strong BJ, Daisuke Sakamoto, and Yujiyo Kabayashi facing Kasayashi and Shuji Kondo. You had uh, Katsuyori Shibata and Kazushi Sakuraba facing Masakatsu Funaki and Masaki Kono. Kai facing Sonata. Bob Sapp and Koji Muto versus Rene Dupree and Zodiac. So, had some people you definitely had to pay to get them there, I'm sure. <laughs> as far as the uh, TNA relationship and how that affected their money, I'm not entirely sure. But... Assuming uh, Wrestle One was the one flying them all out to Japan, that definitely cost them a lot of money then. Because, like I said, there's a lot of appearances, and especially on the uh, Bound for Glory show that was co-promoted with uh, Wrestle One and TNA, they brought over a lot of TNA guys for that one. So that sure was a lot of plane tickets, hotel, food, all that fun stuff. If, if Wrestle One was paying for it, I don't know for sure about that myself. They just, they all they bring a lot of foreign talent over, especially early on in the promotion, and that would cost up a ton of money. So they weren't being shy about uh, their budget, I guess. Either way, Wrestle One is one of my uh, favorite promotions in recent years, and obviously, it's one of the ones I've spent the most time uh, follow, like the one I've been following the closest due to uh, running the uh, Wrestle One English Twitter account. Uh, for those of you that did follow that account, I just wanted to uh, thank you guys for uh, supporting me, supporting Wrestle One while it was still a thing. It uh, running that account helped me do helped me uh, improve myself, and it's I'm honestly I'm surprised I kept with with it as long as I did, but it lasted over a year, so I'm really I'm proud of myself for that, I guess. But I'm happy I could have uh, helped play a role in a lot of your all's uh, fandom of Wrestle One. Hopefully I made some of you new fans, or if you've been a fan, I ho- hopefully I helped improve your experience watching the promotion. And I hope all of you uh, continue to support the wrestlers as uh, they go off to uh, greener pastures, hopefully, I guess. This is something I was going to talk about anyway, but I got a question from uh, Baxter V on Twitter uh, at Tom Panis 2002. Where do you think most wrestlers will go? Is this a way in for NXT Japan if they would want to? First off, I want to talk about the uh, NXT Japan stuff. Wrestle 1 didn't close down because they're being bought by WWE. I don't know why people even would think that. Because the whole point of of NXT Japan, or of of WWE wanting to partner with a Japanese promotion in order to start NXT Japan, is because um, they want a roster. Like, there's no point of NXT just opening up shop and training training people to get them going, and then, like, in a year or two, running their first show, and by then, it's it's pointless. So they want a company, they want a promotion so they can immediately start running shows as soon as they're up and running. And that would have made sense with Wrestle 1 at first. But then you see the part where Wrestle One is releasing the entire roster, so I think it's pretty pretty safe to say 
WWE isn't becoming, or Wrestle 1 isn't becoming NXT Japan. Will some of these guys show up there? I think it's likely, but which I'll get into in a minute, but it's like Wrestle 1 isn't becoming Wrestle, or NXT Japan, so you don't have to worry about that. All Japan, you might have to worry about that. We'll see, but in the future, but for, um, for those that don't know, I'm sure most people do, if you're listening to this, but uh Jun has been in talks with uh Triple H for a while since like last June and he's gonna be going to the performance center to uh watch NXT guest coach kinda get a feel for NXT I guess and in order for NXT to also get a feel for all Japan and we'll see what happens with all that. I'm not gonna place bets or anything, but can't wait for uh Kento to be doing the violent hand spot uh god anyway <laughs> back to the original question though where do i think these guys are going to end up i made a list of all the uh rest, the uh, roster members this doesn't include guys like uh takumi baba who isn't signed or el hio del pantera who uh isn't signed either but he's a pretty much a regular there i will talk about him real quick he uh said on twitter that uh after the all Japan or not the all Japan, after the Wrestle One Corkin in April, and then a few other random Japan shows he's gonna do, he'll be heading back to Mexico and uh, working there from now on, which kind of sucks because he's a great wrestler and I'd love to see him get more opportunities in Japan. So hopefully he goes kills it in Mexico for a little bit and then comes back, but we'll see. I just want to see more tape of him wherever he ends up because he was one of my favorite wrestlers last year. As far as uh, signed Wrestle One talent, I'll start with the owner himself, Keiji Muto. It's Muto. He'll just keep doing whatever he always does. He'll keep work wrestling the Pro Wrestling Master Shows, which open Noah now and again. Maybe do some U.S. spots, not GCW now, unfortunately. We'll see about that, I guess. But yeah, we'll uh, a lot of fun stuff about that one. If you haven't looked into it, uh, definitely check out uh, GCW's Twitter and see the uh, story that's going on between uh, Mudo, GCW, and uh, Sonny Ono. I'm not going to get into it. Y'all y'all can check it out. But I think it's a possibility, like a strong possibility, that he does end up, end up working with uh, NXT Japan and possibly taking some of the guys with him. But we'll see about if he takes any guys with him. But I definitely think... If they uh, if this happens, I think Muto will definitely try and get involved. Uh, next would be the president, uh, Kaz Hayashi. It's interesting with him because I think uh, this was another question I got, but I'll get I'll go in more depth with it later. But I think he's going to end up being the uh, last Wrestle One champ. He's still the president, even with it closing indefinitely, which technically I guess isn't officially closing, but it basically is. So if anyone would stick around and potentially run it again, if it ever were to reopen, I think it's him. And it's possible he'll just go freelance and then do whatever. But if any company can snag him, they should. He's an excellent trainer. I could almost even see him going to NXT Japan to be a trainer. Hopefully not. I think he'd be better off serving for a pro uh, company like, I don't even know what company would need a trainer, but like All Japan, Noah, any promotion really would be great to have him as a trainer. But if he wants to take the paycheck, good for him. Because if he is part of uh, NXT Japan, I think it'll help that roster, whoever ends up being on it, I guess. 
Next is uh, Shuji Kondo. He's the vice president, so a similar situation to Kaz, but I think him signing to a uh, new promotion is more likely than Kaz. Uh, probably Dragon Gate. Maybe he'll be able to take some of the other Wrestle 1 wrestlers with him. If he didn't sign to Dragon Gate, he'd probably just freelance or sign to, sign to OWE. Maybe All Japan, but it depends, I guess. But if he wants to keep working in Dragon Gate, he won't sign to OWE since bad blood between those two. Uh, Kono, or uh, Masuki Kono, can't say I have a huge read on him. I could see him in a few promotions, but he'll probably just end up in All Japan if he uh, signs anywhere since he was originally from there. I do wonder if they'll uh, let him continue his talk show on Nico Pro, but I assume they still will. Um, and Abu Soya, I think he's pretty much a lock for All Japan if they take him. I wouldn't hate him in like uh, no way either, but I just think All Japan's too like really likely. He could partner back up with uh, Omori, or even if they want to continue the stable with him, uh, Tachibana and Lindemann in Kondo, you could continue it there. But it really depends on what he plans to do, I guess. Like if this, I'm curious for uh, some of the booking that's happened in the past couple months. Like how. How long have they known that they're going to close down? I feel like uh, Kono, or not Kono, uh, Soyo would be one that would be kind of in the know, especially since, especially him and Kondo. Obviously, well, obviously Kondo would be, but I feel like some of the older wrestlers would be more in the know of what's going to be coming. So, if they were setting up this stable as a way to keep them together as they jump ship to somewhere else, it's possible, I guess, or I have I have no idea, I guess, but... I think keeping them at the stable would be interesting. Or it's just a one-off and everyone will go their separate ways. <laughs> uh, next is uh, Andy Wu. I'm probably thinking 0-1 for him. He could always go to All Japan. Because everyone always says All Japan needs more juniors, but I'm not really sure he's the type of junior that they need in All Japan. I'd say the majority of Russell 1 juniors would fit in with uh, All Japan. I mean, Andy would fit in with them, but I feel like if I was going, if I was, if I was all Japan and I was looking at Russell One's roster, there's a ton of juniors I would try and take if if you have the money for it. But I don't know if Andy would be high on the list for me personally. But uh, next, uh, Daiki Inaba. If Noah wants him, I think that's a safe landing spot for him. But I think if anyone is likely to make the jump to NXT Japan or pop up in America, it's him. He desperately needs a fresh atmosphere. I don't think he's a bad wrestler. He shows flashes of like brilliant, like great stuff every now and then. But he just needs a fresh coat of paint, a new location, and I think he'll succeed wherever he ends up. But I'm not sure any current promotions in Japan can offer that for him. So his best bet is to get with NXT Japan once that starts up, or go to go to the US, do regular NXT. Maybe AEW would sign him. I don't fucking know, but I think him going elsewhere is a good idea for him. Uh, Koji Doi. Doi's my boy. I love him. But if any of the bigger names were going to fall through the cracks, I think it's probably going to be him. I have a feeling he's going to end up working and like bouncing around the indies, especially doing like some Dove Pro and stuff like that because he seems friendly with some of them guys. But of like the top four of uh, Ashino... Inaba, Doi, and Kumarashi. 
I think Doi is probably the one that's going to end up not falling into a major company, unfortunately, even though he should. I think he's talented as hell. Uh, next is uh, Sego Tachibana. I pray that he ends up in the same promotion where Ashino does, because I need the ending of their story where fa- Tachibana finally beats Ashino. But in the end, he could really end up anywhere. He's young with tremendous potential. Any company would t- could take him and mold him into the kind of wrestler that they need. My guesses would be All Japan or DDT. But, hell, it wouldn't shock me if he ended up joining Ikemen in NXT. But I think he sort of has the All Japan connection already with uh, all the stuff he's been doing with all the stuff he's doing earlier with Yoshitatsu earlier in the year. And then I think DDT is just a good fit for him because he's a good wrestler and I think he'd be really good with the comedy stuff too. Uh, next. Jun Toncho. Promotions should be fighting over this kid for their junior division. He's already an amazing high flyer at such a young age. I could see NXT trying to snack him up and turn him in basically into the uh, NXT version of Tyler Bate. But I really think he'd be a good fit for Dragon Gate or All Japan. Maybe even New Japan, but they probably won't be interested in him. I could almost see Basara for him as well, since him and uh, Pegasso have been palling around with uh, Shimamura lately. And I think that'd be a cool fit for him. But for the most part, wherever he goes, I think he's going to succeed. Just if you're not, if a promotion isn't looking at him, they're just stupid. Like he's going to be something. And he's like 21, I think, 20, 21. Like he's a child, basically. And he's already this good. So he's definitely someone to keep an eye out. If you're, if you don't, if you're uh, listening to this and you, you don't know much about Russell One. He's definitely a guy to keep an eye out of where he ends up into the rest of his career. Same for Tachibana. Uh, next, Reika Saiki, the only woman on the roster. I won't be shocked if Bujirod haven't already made an offer for her, for her already. Like, I could I could just see her returning to Tokyo Joshi, but I'm not. I'd kind of prefer that because it would bolster their roster to have a more of a veteran woman back on it. But Stardom has more for her to do, fresh matchups, new challenges, new titles to challenge for. In Tokyo Joshi, she's already won the uh, main title, and I think she's won the tag titles too, but I can't remember for sure. Either way, she hasn't wrestled since August when she got injured. I'm just excited to see her back in a ring again. I've really missed her a lot. Uh, Next, Takanori Ito. I think Zero One's a good shout for him, especially given his current character. Unfortunately, I just don't see any major promotions showing interest in him, despite his talent, which is really, really sucks because this kid's really talented. Or kid, I don't even know how old he is. I don't know what I'm calling him a kid, but this dude's really talented. But he's probably gonna fall through the cracks a little bit, and hope. I think Zero One probably is the best shot for him, but we'll see. I guess. Uh, Gonseki Tanaka. I think his best bet is probably NXT Japan. Especially if Mudo ends up with them because they seem to be real buddy-buddy. Because whenever Mudo's on like, some of these talk shows and stuff, half the time he brings Gonseki with him. So I could see him bringing Gonseki with him to NXT Japan, but otherwise I'm not really sure who's going to take him. He'd probably just either go to zero one or bounce around Indies, all that kind of stuff. Uh, Hajime, he's another guy whose best bet's probably NXT Japan. I'd love him in DDT, though. I think he'd be really good at the comedy stuff. 
But if he doesn't end up there, he'll probably just be bouncing around, unfortunately, which sucks because he's another young, talented guy. Has a little bit of an injury history, but either way, I still think he has uh, something. He has something there if you can tap into it. And I think DDT might be a good place for him to tap into that. Alejandro, I'd like to see him in Dragon Gate. I think that's probably his best landing spot. I think he fit in there, but I could also see him just bouncing around the Indies like the others. Uh, Pegaso Illuminar, I think he'll end up wherever Kaz goes because they're pretty close. But otherwise, Basara wouldn't be an awful spot for him to land. I just don't have a clear direction on where he would likely end up. But probably the best bets are he'll go with wherever Kaz goes, or I think Basara. Then you have their rookies, which are uh, Ryuki Honda, Kai Fujimura, Takaro Niki. Honda's been around for over a year now, but Kai and Niki just started last year. Uh, Kai just started in June, and Nikki was in October. I feel so bad for these guys. They start with this, start with the promotion, get trained, don't even make it a year before the promotion closes. I hope they just don't quit. They all show great potential, especially uh, Kai. He was, he's my favorite of the rookies, and I just I just hope they don't give up. I hope they find a direction. Someone takes them in. Any promotion would be lucky to have these guys. In their in their dojo, train them up even more, get them to the next level. I wouldn't. I I think some. I wouldn't hate it if like Kai joined uh, the New Japan dojo, but I just have a feeling they're not gonna accept him or any of these guys. Like some of these guys, I think would fit into New Japan. I just don't think New Japan's roster is too bloated right now, and I just don't think they're gonna be accepting too many guys right now, even though they're. They have all their LA Dojo guys, and now they have Gabriel Kidd, and there's there's stuff pet full with talent right now. So I doubt any of these guys are going to end up in New Japan. So that's one less spot for them to end up. Feel bad for these rookies. I hope they end up somewhere good and don't quit. Next is uh, Enfance Terrible. I want to talk about them as a group first, and then I want to talk about them as individuals. If they stay as a group and go to a promotion together, I've seen a lot of people say that Ashino should end up in All Japan or Noah or one of those one of those two promotions. But if these three decide to stay together as a group and join the same fa- same promotion, I think their best. I think where I would see them landing is DDT, which is kind of an off the board pick from most people I've seen, because. All of them are good at comedy stuff, especially uh, Ashino and Kodama. A lot of people knocked Ashino for his size in regards to if he went to like Noah or Old Japan, he wouldn't really fit in with the heavyweights there. He'd fit in just fine with DDT. Same for Arashi. Arashi would be a good pick for DDT just because he'd be different than a lot of the wrestlers. He'd probably be one of the bigger wrestlers in the promotion. And... They already have the the relationship with Takagi because one Takagi was a past uh, president of Wrestle One, but also uh, on Ikemen's uh, goodbye show, uh, Ashino was in the match facing. I think it was like him and Takashita and Ikemen versus uh, Takagi, Kondo, and Super Delphin, I think. But either way, it's like, and after that, uh. 
Takagi was making references that how he would when he wanted to have a uh, Ashino and DDT at some point or have Takashita or someone go over to Wrestle One. So you kind of got that brewing underneath, and I think I think Ashino will have a better. He won't have better match matches in DDT probably because I don't know. Like it depends on what you're a fan of, I guess, but. I think most people want him to go to Noah or, or All Japan to have those hard-hitting matches and all that kind of stuff, which you can't have in DDT, just not as often. But, And I think he'll make more money in DDT, obviously, than those other two promotions. So, And then Kodama would fit right in there as well. He's great comedy, and he has a character already, which is something you usually need for uh, DDT. It's just... These three as a group, I think, fit in really well with DDT. If they went to other promotions as a group, it would work, obviously, because Enfonce is a great stable. But I don't know if it would work quite as well if it would, as it would work in DDT. If we're just talking them individually, if Ashino is going into a promotion by himself, I still think DDT is a good option. But if he's going in by himself, Noah's definitely where I would send him. Because I think he would fit in better with their heavyweight division. Kodama... I could see him just about anywhere, to be honest, because he's a, one of the best juniors out there right now. Any division would be happy to have him. But by himself, I think he'd probably end up in All Japan. Maybe not as a permanent mo- member, permanent r- roster member, but I think he'll just end up sticking around with Sajiri since he's uh, he was trained by him and he has a great relationship with him. And I think he'll just kind of like bounce around with Tajiri doing shows. Kuma, I could see in... All Japan or Noah, but I'm kind of leaning more towards Noah. I think he'd be a great fit for uh, Congo if he were to sign there. And lastly, uh, Seki Yoshioka. This one's an easy one. He's going to be joining OWE or just be a freelancer and be strong hearts. Honestly, he's probably the best out of the, like he has the best land, not best landing spot, but he pretty much had a built-in landing spot because of him joining Strong Hearts back in November. Who knows if they knew that was going to happen back then, but if not, he kind of lucked out joining Strong Hearts, and now he he won't have any problems getting booked anywhere, and he could possibly even get booked in America for AEW. So we'll see how that goes. But enough with all of that. There is a Wrestle 1 show I wanted to talk about today, so let's get into it real quick. This is the uh, Wrestle 1 February Corkin that made tape on the 29th of February. It took place on February 12th. The attendance was about 918, 913. I can't remember which. But not a strong number, obviously, but they were really hot for the main event, and that's all you can really ask for. The uh, first match of the show was a singles match between Kasayashi and Hajime. Kaz defeated Hajime in five minutes with the final cut. Uh, match was solid enough. Like, not, there's not much I can say about a five-minute match, but it was nice to see Hajime in a singles match finally. After all his uh, struggles on the undercard, or not even the undercard, the dark matches lately. Uh, next match was a six-man tag match. Gonseki Tanaka and Ryuji Hichikata and Ruki Honda defeated Kai Fujimura, Sushi, and Takaro Niki in 7.50. I think Tanaka's been looking better lately. Maybe his new appearance is giving him some kind of new attitude, but he's impressing me right now. I'm really curious where he ends up, like I said earlier, but 
I think it's probably going to end up being NXT Japan <laughs> if Muto's going to be involved. We'll see. Uh, the next match was a six-man match. Alejandro, Masuki Kono, and Yusuke Kodama defeating El Hio del Pantera, Jun Toncho, and Kochi Takeda in 8.43. Uh, fun enough, six-man. It was funny backstage with uh, Kodama still trying to recruit Kono to uh, Infant, and Kono's still not really having anything with it. Uh, three-way next match is a three-way tag team match. Deki Naba and Koji Doi defeated Stronghearts, uh, Seki Yoshioka and Shikahiro Irie, and Masada Tanaka and Pegasu Illuminar in 7-15. Match was fun, pretty fun. They did this uh, nut spots where uh, Doi and Inaba both slammed the other two teams at once from the top rope. Uh, backstage, uh, Tanaka and uh, Pegasu were kind of talking about how they wanted to team up again, which... They will be doing it at Wrestle Wars, but we'll see if that means anything else. Like maybe uh, Pegasa will end up with zero one and teaming with uh, Masato more often. Who knows? Uh, next match was a singles match: uh, Kuma Arashi defeating Cyrus the Destroyer in nine minutes. A very fun match between these two uh, huge heavyweights. It was interesting watching uh, Kuma try and figure out how to deal with someone so much longer. Or so much longer. So much larger than himself. Since he rarely gets this opportunity. Uh, Cyrus almost hit a moonsault. Which was insane for someone his size. And I hope a uh, promotion in Japan brings Cyrus back. Obviously Wrestle One's not going to do it. But he really impressed me this tour. Especially in this match. And he's still really young. Has time to improve. And if he can get someone to sponsor him in Japan. All Japan should try, maybe try and hit him up or something. Give this kid, give this guy a longer tour in Japan. I think he has a lot of promise, but I have a feeling he's just gonna not and it's just gonna end up staying in the U.S. once he gets back. So or not, he is back, but we'll see. Next was a tag team match: Mazada and Takanori Ito defeated Seiko Tachibana and Shuji Kondo in eight minutes. Mazada tried to choke uh, Tachibana with duct tape at the beginning of the match. At one point, Mazada held uh, Kondo's arm in place so that Ito could jump off the apron and hit him with a hammer in the arm. Uh, during the match, Tachibana tried his best to fight back after Kondo got taken out. He was finally able to take out Ito and tag in Kondo, but Kondo was clearly still hurting from the arm injury. But he kept trying as the arm. But he kept trying as the arm injured is the arm he uses for most of his offense. So he'd hit a move with it and then start selling it immediately, but he didn't give up. He just kept going after it, but in the end, uh, Kono got hit with chairs by uh, Mazato and Ido both, and then got pinned by Ido. And then after the match, uh, Soya came out and beat up Ido and set up their match for later in the month. The semifinal match was uh, Heat defeating Andy Wu in 13 and a half minutes about. The match was primarily built around Heat attacking Andy's knees, just trying to weaken them as much as he can, which played into the finish with Andy tapping out to a knee bar because he just couldn't deal with the pain any longer. Pretty good match. Worth checking out. Uh, and then the main event. Katsuhiko, Niko, eh. Katsuhiko Nakajima defeated Shotaro Shino to retain in uh, 27 and a half minutes. The match started with uh, Nakajima refusing to wrestle again, like the tag matches the two had, or the tag match the two had at Wonder Carnival. 
he wouldn't wrestle until he's presented with the belt, but then he just threw it to the ground anyway. If nothing else, this Nakajima feud really got the crowd hot and firmly behind Ashino in the match. I didn't really take any notes on this one. Kind of just wanted to experience the match for what it was because it was it was likely Ashino's last Wrestle 1 match. But this was easily this easily became my match of the year. Match was amazing. The emotion of it took it to a whole nother level. At the time, I was fine with Ashino losing, even if it was questionable to me why he challenged so early in the first place. But now that I know Wrestle 1 is closing, the finish was a mistake. Ashino should have been the last Wrestle 1 champ. Regardless, go out of your way to find this match and watch it. It's still possible that Ashino could become the last Wrestle 1 champ, but it's pretty unlikely. Like, my best bet of him becoming the last Wrestle 1 champ would be he drops the tag titles to Doi and Inaba at Wrestle Wars, and then Kaz def- or loses to Nakajima, and then for then Ashino comes out and challenges Nakajima again, which would still be weird booking. But at this point, I just don't care. Ashino needs to be the last Wrestle One champ. This dude, this company is everything for to him. I I really feel bad for him, especially. Like, the rookies, obviously, I feel really bad for because of their situation. But Ashino, this this company was everything to him. And it's just, it's going to be gone soon. He wanted to raise this promotion higher. He wanted to take him to the Tokyo Dome. Obviously, lofty goals for him in the promotion. But he believed in this promotion so much. And it's just, it's just a shame that he won't be the last one. But I get it. If Kaz is... is the last Wrestle One champ, I'm fine with that too. He deserves it for all the work he's done to try and put this company into better uh, fortunes. But I still think Ashino should be the last Wrestle One champ. But that's it for Wrestle One talk for now. I will for uh, I still uh, will try and finish up. Uh, covering Russell one until the promotions end on the uh, Russell one English Twitter account. I haven't gotten around to uh, translating the Russell soul, car- the show uh, comments, but I did glance at them a little bit and it's, it's so depressing. I feel bad for these young guys, but I will plan to uh, translate that sometime soon, as well as the uh, KBS hall show on the eighth. In addition to that show, they have Russell wars, obviously, they were going to have uh, two shows on the 20th and 27th, which got canceled. They were in uh, Shimizu and Aichi, if I'm remembering. Oh, Kochi. Shimizu and Kochi, but they canceled those two shows. They're still going to have the Shinkiba show later in the month, and then obviously the last show, the August Corkin, or April Corkin. I'll try and translate all the big shows so you guys can find out what the, everyone's saying at the tail end of the promotion. So if you don't follow the rest of One English Twitter, Give it a follow. I'll link it in the footnotes for anyone that doesn't know. But after that, we'll see what happens, I guess. But that's it for Wrestle One Talk. Next, I wanted to get into a little bit of DDT. The first show I want to talk about is the uh, DDT Isn't It Dramatic 2020 house show from 224. I don't normally watch uh, DDT house shows. I try to stick to the Corkins and other big shows, but I think they're a fun thing to throw on the TV when you have nothing else to watch. 
the show was uh, overall pretty all right. Nothing at all really go that's go out of your way to see. But if you got some time to kill, throw it on. Watch it while you're having dinner. Whatever works for you. Main event was solid enough, depending on how you feel about Dino. And just comedy wrestling in general, I guess. But even then, I think the match is just fine. Originally, it was supposed to be Cody Hall instead of Sasadango. But he's a moron so and got himself booted from the company. So it was a win for us. So I don't need to see one of his matches. The match I'm talking about, just to, for those that don't know, it was a... A KOD title match, KOD tag team title match. It was a Nautilus, Naomi Yoshimura, and Yuki Oeno defeating Don Shogodino and Super Sasadonga Machine in 1914. Like I said, fine match. So if that's something you want to put on, it's worth. It was a fun watch overall. The next show is uh, DDT Universe Live One Chance Friday from uh, 229. This was the first of their uh, dojo shows. For those who don't know, obviously, with all the coronavirus stuff, a ton of promotions canceled shows. DDT instead decided to just run the shows in their dojo and run them live on DDT Universe. So far, they've all been really fun shows. So if you're a DDT fan or just have some little spare income, I'd throw throw it to DDT Universe and give these shows a watch. They've all been really good. And there's even one today I haven't gotten to watch. That was from the uh, June third or March third of when I'm recording this, but it had a match with uh, it was a uh, Takashido versus Endo with uh, it was basically one of those matches where if you get pinned you have to drink kind of thing, but Takashida said he's driving home today so he can't drink. Oh no, it wasn't. Tag match or singles match it was a tag match. Excuse me. It was a captain drunk tornado tag team match between Daisuke Sasaki and Tetsuya Endo facing Akito and Konosuke Takashida. But Takashida said that he was driving, so he can't drink, and Tets Endo can't drink because it'll ruin his diet. So they nominated Sasaki and Akito as their captains, and it just sounds nuts. <laughs> Akito got so drunk and was expressing his love for Endo and was yelling at Takashida for hitting his Endo, hurting his uh, Tetsuya. It was, sounds like a mess. I'm probably going to watch that after this, uh, after I'm done recording. But So I'll talk about it next week a little bit. But as for the dojo shows I want to talk about, the first one was on Friday on the 229. Uh, opener was a tag team match. Don Shokudino and Yukio Naya defeating Keigo Nakamura and Yuki Ino. Dino completely stripped Nakamura at one point in his match. I was just like, what the, what are you doing? All, and then all you hear is, um, cause they get down under, uh, underneath, not underneath the apron on the, on the, uh, on the mat around the ring. And because of how the camera is positioned, you can't see them. But all you hear is Nakamura screaming, yelling out, itai, itai, which means, uh, it hurts. And then, Later in the match, Nakamura got underneath uh, Eno, like his head underneath Eno, to form a centaur. They took the other team out. They went on the apron as the centaur, and then Naya and Dino just humped them to break the centaur up. It was just a ridiculous match. Uh, next match was a tag match. Calamari Drunken Kings, which is Chris Brooks and Masahiro Takanashi, defeating Eruption, Kazusada Higuchi, and Saki Akai in eight and a half minutes. 
there were no fans, so Masa started cheering for Chris on his own. It was mostly just Masa and Chris taking advantage of Saki early. But Higuchi was a total beast once he finally got in there. He was just killing Chris. And honestly, after Sasaki challenges, Higuchi should uh, be Chris's next challenger. But it ended up with Chris rolling up Saki for the win. And then on Twitter, Chris was talking about who he'll accept as next challengers. It was like Mecha Mummy and Kudo and Saki Akai was one of them. <laughs> it was just something. Uh, the next match was uh, Nautilus. Naomi Yoshimura and Yuki Ueno defeating All Out. Konosuke Takashida and Shinma Katsumata, 11 minutes, almost 12 minutes. Match is pretty awesome, which is to be expected with these four. But truly the highlight of it was uh, Takashida. Was when Takashida threw Shinma up in the air with his legs so that uh, Shinma could hit a code breaker on Ueno. But definitely a match to go out of your way to check out. The next match is another match to go out of your way to check out. Uh, Tetsuya Endo defeating Akito in 8.5 minutes. Yeah, like I was saying, this match is definitely something to go out of your way to see. I would have loved to see it go a little bit longer, but even so, the match is pretty great. And Endo retains his sword, so I'm I'm a happy guy. And then the uh, main event was uh, Daisuke Sasaki and Hiroshi Yamato defeating Harashima and Makoto Oishi in 11 and a half minutes. Oishi was trying to cheer on Hara since the crowd wasn't there. Hara kept yelling out Ikuzo, trying to get the crowd to cheer him on, but there's no crowd, so there's no one to... Cheer, him, cheer it back to him. I felt so bad. Uh, Naomi joined in with uh, Oishi to cheer on Harashima uh, to get out of a hold when Sasaki had a minute. But then Yamato grabbed some daikons and started singing to cheer on Sasaki to try and do the same for him. Then later, Dino came out wearing an Owashi mask to give Harashima a pair of headphones so that he could hear some of the fans cheering him on to power him up, and he was getting all excited. But in the end, Saki picked up the win anyway. It was a hilarious main event. Definitely a great match to check out if you're into comedy stuff. Uh, the next match was uh, DDT Universe Live One Chance Sunday from the first. It was a really fun show, easy watch for sure. So if you want some... Uh, if you have some time to kill, definitely throw it on. But I just wanted to bring up one match in particular, which was uh, Maki Ito and Chris Brooks, uh, Neo Ito Respect Army defeating Miyu Yamashita and Antonio Honda. Mostly because in the promo after the match, Chris was talking about how he wanted blood from Honda and how he wanted to slice him open and eat his insides and shit. Maki was super confused at first, but she ended up just playing along with him. And then in the uh, main event... Uh, you had uh, Royce Chambers from Australia making his debut for DDT. And he looked pretty good. Interested in seeing more of him. I'm pretty sure he was on the show today that I'm going to watch after I record. In a singles match against Chris. I think that was today. But we'll see how that match goes. And then uh, one more. It's not specifically DDT, but uh, Tokyo Joshi had their first uh, dojo show. Because they're doing the same thing since they're part of DDT. They had a, uh, instead of doing the regular card, they had a one-day one tournament between all the women. Really fun show, easy to watch. But the highlight of it was, for sure, uh, Yuki Kamafuku uh, bringing her dog out, uh, Zach. And he, he was just the star of the show. I, I love this dog. Someone pointed, said that uh, he should win the uh, Iron Man Heavy Metal Weight title. And I'm like, yes, please put this title on this dog. Anyone that pins him will become the worst heel in history. No one can hurt Zach. <laughs> Before I get into AEW, there is a 
another show related to DT I want to talk about a little bit, which was the uh, Ganbare Pro Star Platinum 2020 show from uh, the 24th. I only watched like two matches, well, three technically. I watched one of the, the match that had uh, Asuka, not WWE Asuka, obviously, but the regular Asuka, which was, it was fine. <laughs> it was, if I see Asuka on a card, I got to at least watch her match because she's one of my favorite Joshi. But uh, I only really want to talk about the main event, but the uh, semifinal match is definitely worth checking out as well. It was really fun stuff because I love uh, both uh, Cookie Iwasaki and Ryuchi Sekine. The match was uh, Cookie Iwasaki and Washi Sakurai defeating Ryuchi Sekine and Tetsuo Usui in about 13 minutes. But real match I want to talk a little bit about is uh, the main event for the Independent World Junior Heavyweight title. Keisuke Ishii defeating Yumehito Imanari by referee's decision in 22-48. This match fucking ruled. Go out of your way to watch it. But, I mean, you should watch... Go out of your way to watch any Keisuke Ishii singles match. Like, he's incredible. It's I'm I'm fine with him being in Gambare, but I just wish he'd make more appearances for DDT proper or just other promotions in general because you just need more Keisuke Ishii in your life. Like, he's one of the best wrestlers in Japan, in my opinion. But let's get on to AEW. I want to talk a little bit about the Dynamite from the week before or that week before I talk about Revolution. Mostly the uh, Pack Omega uh, 30-minute Iron Man match. There's a lot of match of the year contender buzz. I didn't feel quite to that level, but I still thought it was a great match. Just some quick notes as I run through them that I had. I still hate Kenny's AEW music, at least the version with lyrics. The orchestral version that he used whenever he went to uh, AAA is cool, but it's just like, I can't, I can't do the lyrics, man. It's it's just gamer core shit, and it just cringed to me. But that's who he is, I guess. So what can you expect from Kenny? He packed it a great reversal of the one-winged angel into a brutalizer. I think they're, I guess brutalizer is a finisher, at least a submission finish, but the way that it uh, com- works so well with the one-winged angel into a re- for a reversal, just these two fit well together as opponents because stuff like that. I really hate the Terminator dive thing Kenny does. Half the time it makes the opponent look like an idiot because they're just standing out the outside waiting for what feels like forever, and this was no exception. Pack scouted the uh, you can't escape well by rolling out of the way, but Kenny just shoved him into the turnbuckle, followed by a Snapdragon, which was a good spot. Uh, Pack hit this crazy brain buster from the top rope. Man, uh, Kenny ended up getting a fall because of a chair shot that Pack did, which caused a DQ, which is apparently the first DQ in Wrestle or one, the first DQ in AEW history, which I think is a good spot for it. Like, if you're going to do the first one, I guess, doing it in a historic match, in a big match, is a good idea. But it was smart either, too, because, like, yeah, Pack is losing a fall, but he's still weakening Kenny, and then he immediately picked up a fall off a of black arrow, so it was good booking in that sense. But then after that, with all the ref stuff, it didn't bother me as much as it seemed to bother some people that I talked to, but it was still kind of weird. It went to picture-in-picture after that. They got 
when they got back, Kenny hit a Falcon, or not Kenny, Peck hit a Kenny with a Falcon arrow off the apron onto the floor, which looks sick. And then around the seven-minute mark, Pack hit a shooting star press on him through a table and nearly got a count-out fall from it. I didn't like the finish, though, this match. Like, I, the, the sudden death stuff was stupid. I don't know why Kenny needs to always hit. Like, lately, it feels like he's just over-referencing Kota Bushi, and he does it again. And not, not necessarily him, but they do it again in the uh, tag title match, so I'm going to talk about it in a little bit. But, like I said, match was great. It's just, I don't know why they needed to go to Sudden Death, and the Sudden Death wasn't that great, but definitely something I recommend people check out anyway, so. I've seen a lot of people hate on the uh, women's four-way from this show, which was Riho, Big Swole, not Riho. I don't have notes, so I'm just trying to remember who it was. It was Yuka, Big Swole, Hikaru, and Shauna. I thought the match was pretty good. Like, I think that was probably, like, Hikaru's uh, best match. He's looked the best in AEW since that 6-1 tag match at Double or Nothing. Or maybe the Shauna match they had at TV early on in the promotion. But I don't know why people thought this match was, like, terrible. Like, I thought it was fine. But teach their own, I guess. But in the end, uh, uh, Hikaru picked up the win over Big Swole. So I could see her being the next for uh, Nyla. And then I like the uh, build to uh, the tag title match on this show. The interview was pretty good, I think. Like, But I'm not going to get too into it. I'm already kind of going along. As far as uh, Revolution itself, I thought it was a solid show. There was like three matches, or like, at least two matches I thought were really great. And then everything else was kind of there. Some of it was actually bad. Some of it was just fine. Doesn't help. I I got sick on uh, Saturday night, so I didn't get to watch this live. I got this really bad fever, which I'm, I'm not recovering from the fever, but it's the illness in general I'm still kind of recovering from. If you can hear that in my voice, I'm sorry, but forgive if me if some of my takes on this were a little grumpy because it was the day after both being sick. I was still sick while I was watching the show the next morning, and then plus saw the Wrestle One News kind of bummed me out, so. With that framing, I guess, let's get into it. The first match, well, the first match really was the uh, SEU versus Dark Order match. I, 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 don't, I don't have anything to say about this match. It's just weird. I like the stuff at the end with them kind of teasing Christopher Daniels and then they lo- end up lim- eliminate him as an option for being the uh, exalted one. So that post-match stuff, fine. Match itself, I did not really like it at all. The uh, first main card match was uh, Jake Hager defeating Dustin Rhodes in 14:44. Why on earth did this match go longer than 10 minutes? I was just sitting here waiting. It's just like this match should have been sub 10, and then they did that stupid ass kissing spot with Dustin kissing Hager's wife. And it's just like not exactly uh, smart. People are gonna say it's all oh, just wrestling. You look uh, ignore it, but it's like. It wasn't even a heel doing it. It was the baby face assaulting someone's wife. It's like, I don't, I don't get the point of that, but they should have just cut time from this and cut that part out and just gave time to other matches on the card. Some of the ma- other matches on the card. For example, this one, the next match, uh, Darby Allen defeating Sammy Guevara in five minutes, or Sammy Guevara. 
this match absolutely ruled. Both guys are definitely future stars. Hell, Darby probably already is one. When I saw the match only went five minutes, I was a little worried, but it's really because they did a bunch of brawling on the outside before the match even began, which, if you include that, it was probably close to like 10, 12 minutes. And part of the brawling included like Sammy hitting a 630 on Darby through a table, which looked crazy. Just probably my match of the night. So it's definitely something to go out of your way to see. But it's just a shame they couldn't have given a little more time. But I still think for what the time they were given, they did a great match in between that them time frames. Uh let's see, next match was the AEW World Tag Team title match. Adam Page and Kenny Omega defeating the Young Bucks in almost exactly 30 minutes. Boy, did this match uh, get the internet wrestling community going at a, like a, at a storm and like a bunch of fallout from this match. Seen people say it was awful. Seen people say it was match of the year, best tag team of all time, according to Dave. I haven't really seen a whole lot of in-between opinions, which is kind of where I'm at. Like, I think it was fine. Like, the match was good. It just felt really long in the tooth, and it was melodramatic as hell at times, like your typical NXT matches these days. Like, they literally did the Johnny Gargano, why are my hands so violent spot with Matt, I think it was Matt, holding, like, Kenny's tape that was on his back. And I don't get why, like I said earlier, I don't get why Kenny has to incorporate Coda spots in all of his matches lately. Like, with this time, the Bucks hitting a golden trigger on Kenny where he kicked out a one. I would have said I'm sure I was going to be the low person on this, but I'm not even as low as a lot of people I've seen. But it really depends on your circles, I guess, because I know plenty of people think it's match of the year, tag team of the year. Dave think it's one of the best matches ever. It's just like, whatever. I'm not going to be too negative on it, but it was a good, it was a solid enough match. If Pretty much if you see these guys and they look like, a, if you know if you like these matches or not, just based on who's in it at this point. Uh, next match was the uh, AEW World title match between Nyla Rose and Chris Statlander. Nyla defeating Chris in 12-ish minutes. They really should have just done Riho and Nyla here instead of it on TV. But also the placement of this just was bad because I don't know why you'd put a match with no heat right after the tag title match with the crowd just going nuts. What can you do? I just kind of just there regardless. But it doesn't help. I'm not super interested in Nyla, and I don't think Chris was on her game because if it's true that she has a flu, it's like you could tell. <laughs> uh, next match was MJF defeating Cody in 24 and a half minutes. Like, just before the match even started, I was just like, I'm not going to like this because one, this live version of Cody's theme is awful. And then he's that they showed that god awful neck tattoo he has now. I'm happy he likes it, and it's not like something I can like. Oh, j- totally judge people for doing something they want with their body because I got tat I got tattoos, and I know my family hates it. They're not fucking as bad as Cody's, but I know they don't like it, so can't really judge them on that. And but even his even his wife hates it apparently, so I don't feel as bad bragging on him about it, but. Either way, the, like the match itself was probably my the least I've enjoyed Cody in AEW, which is kind of unfortunate because, like I said on the last pod, I think I've enjoyed pretty much all of his AEW stuff. 
I hated him in in New Japan, but he's been doing good stuff in AEW, in my, in my opinion, until this. But I'd probably blame it more on MJF than Cody and why this match was bad because I didn't really like any of the control periods that MJF had, and then it was just a tad overbooked compared to the usual Cody match, which tend to be overbooked anyway, but it was even more overbooked than they usually are. Match was a match. Uh, next match. It's probably my fav- my second favorite match of the night. Uh, Pac versus Orange Cassidy with Pac defeating Orange Cassidy in 13 minutes. Match was awesome. I just don't get the point of the Lucha Bros spot at the end. It doesn't really hurt the match, though it's just weird to me that they did had to do that. But Pac continues to kill it, and OC had an impressive first singles match in the company, so thumbs up for me for this match. Then the main event was John Moxley defeating Chris Jericho for the AEW World Title in 22 and a half minutes. It's kind of surprised. I figured uh, Jericho was gonna retain. I think his title ha- uh, his title reign had more legs, and I'm not really sure there's a clear uh, first challenger for Mox. Could be Pack, but he's losing all the fucking time now. So he just went one tonight on that show, but his uh, win loss record ain't too hot. But we'll see what happens. Going with a fresh mind. I know a lot of people are saying, or not a lot of people, but I've, there's, I'm sure there's people saying, oh, AEW has two uh, WWE title, WWE champions, WWE people as their uh, inaugural champs and stuff. But I don't know. Jericho is just a huge star, and I think he was the right choice for the first champ. And then I probably would have preferred someone in, being in between that, but. I don't have a problem with Mox winning. The match itself was fine. It was some nice brawling and shit. It was just... The eye patch spot kind of was confusing to me. Would have been, I think it would have been better. Like I don't know what kind of tactical advantage Mox really had by going in there with one eye blind because... So that he could shock Jericho at the end and reveal he can still see or something. I don't know, but... Match is fine. And like I said, overall, show was pretty good, so... If you're into American wrestling, I'd definitely give it a watch. At least some of the matches. Probably wrap it up here soon, but there's... Let's see. Over the weekend, I did see a little bit more wrestling that wasn't like your big stuff. I watched the um, Black Label Pro show from uh, Saturday. kind of a hit or miss show for the most part but it definitely had some matches to go out of your way especially like the first the first five I want to say and then plus the uh, Jake something versus uh, Chris Dickinson match is definitely something to check out and then on the uh, on Sunday on the first was uh, the Beyond Wrestling show where they were kind of doing their Beyond Championship Wrestling gimmick Basically doing a WWE show. It was fun stuff. Nothing like go out of your way to see. But if you just want to enjoy like a fun gimmick show. I definitely hop on to IWTV and check it out. And then uh, also on that sh- on that day I watched the uh, Glory Pro show. There, it was like the fifth anniversary show. Or something like that. Oh actually no. Before I even continue to that. The... Um, Beyond Show was on Fight. I'm not sure if they put it up on IWTV, but I definitely know it was on Fight. 
the day of. So find it somewhere. But anyway, back to Glory Pro. Pretty sure it was their fifth anniversary show or something like that. Another fun show. I think it had better action than the other two shows I talked about from that weekend with uh, Black Label Pro and Beyond. Especially the uh, Nick Gage match. I think it was against uh, KLD. Really fun, hardcore match. One of the spots was uh, them lighting a table on fire and then Gage slamming him through it. And it's, it did not look comfortable at all for KLD. I felt so bad for him after that bomb. It looks like that table just gave immediately and he's, his back hit the ground flat and it's ugh imagine in it. It sounds painful. But match was fun. And then the main event was uh Chris Dickinson versus AJ Gray for the Glory Pro title, which was another awesome match. I love both of those guys, so whenever I get to see a chance see them, I go to my way to see it. But that's it for all the shows I want to talk about. Before I get out of here There's, uh, I want to talk about the matches of the week. Just give you a list of all the matches that I've seen in the past week that I think are recommendable that you should all check out. <clears throat> I'll drop the list in the footnotes for the episode, so if you missed something, just check there. This isn't in any particular order, alphabetical, just random pretty much. Keisuke Ishii versus Yumehito Imanari from Ganbare on February 24th. Kenny Omega vs. Pac from AEW Dynamite on the 26th. Tetsuya Endo vs. Akito on DDT February 28th. Nautilus, Naomi Yoshimura, and Yuki Ueno versus All Out, Konosuke Takashida, and Shunma Katsumata from DDT February 24th. Chris Brooks, Emi Sakura, and Masahiro Takanashi versus Mei Suruga, Rinrin, and Tokiko Kirihara from Gato Move on the February 23rd. Kuma Arashi versus Cyrus from Wrestle 1, February 12th. Sego Tachibana and Shuji Kondo versus Takanori Ito and Mazada from Wrestle 1, February 12th. Shotaro Shino versus Katsuhiko Nakajima from Wrestle 1, February 12th. Pack versus Orange Cassidy from AEW, February 29th. Samuel Guevara versus Darby Allen from AEW, February 29th. And lastly, AJ Gray versus Chris Dickinson from Glory Pro, March 1st. Hopefully you can find a match there that, that you will enjoy. But for now, I think that's it for this episode. If you want to follow the pod, you can do so at One Wrestling Pod. Find out what, ne- what I'm doing next for recording and ask any questions you may have that you'd like me to answer on the pod next week. I'm not entirely sure on what I'm going to discuss. I'll have to check it, check out. It's possible. I might check, talk about elimination chamber, but I doubt it. Cause I'm probably not going to enjoy it, but I might talk about it a little bit. Uh, I'm going to talk about Kagetsu's retirement show that just made tape today. I haven't got a chance to watch it. Uh, I think stardom's no people gate will happen before I record next. If so, I'll discuss that, probably. Talk about a little more of DDT and stuff like that. I will probably do a uh, Wrestle Wars preview that week. I think that's good timing for that. I won't be. Re- I probably won't be reviewing uh, Wrestle Wars on the on my podcast 
as I'm scheduled to be on uh, John Carroll's podcast, Russell and Makase, to discuss the show with them. So I'll probably still talk about it a little bit, but not in depth as in depth as I will for their podcast. So check that out if you want to find out about that. But anyway, back to plugs. Like I said, follow the pod at One Wrestling Pod. You can follow me personally at ASPIR underscore. And to keep track on the final days of Wrestle One, you can follow the Wrestle One English Twitter account at Wrestle One. Excuse me. At W1 underscore ENG. But for now, thank you all for listening. See you next time.